Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership Podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership Podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show today. Today, we're going to be discussing the interview that we had on Monday with Jackie Nurse, who leads groups internationally and has a blog and a podcast of her own. Joining me back in the studio today to discuss the interview are my friends and fellow leaders, Bevelyn Thornton, Creed Hendrickson, and Elijah Friedemann. Welcome back, y'all. Thanks. It's Thanks great for having us. What did y'all think of the interview with Jackie? Initially, just honestly uh, inspired by her life. She lives a full life. You come across people every now and then that makes you pause and think, wow, that is a life well lived. And just from her initial listening to the interview, it's a life well lived. Absolutely. Initially, I thought, man, I want to travel with Jackie. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, well, you can in November. (laughs) So her passion for traveling was very evident throughout the whole interview. Um, And she captured that well when she said it's powerful to have an interest and invite people into that world. And I think that's exactly what she's doing. And I think as leaders, that's exactly what we should be doing, inviting other people into our world. Yeah, I love that she she takes her her passion, kind of like Bevan was just saying, and has turned it into something that not only makes her money, but also provides community and experiences for other people. And I love that. So that was inspiring to me. And and I just came away from this interview thinking, hey, if there's something I want to do, something I'm passionate about, don't wait. Just try it, try it mm-hmm. now, and just see what happens and see what comes out of it. And obviously, mm-hmm. what she's doing is still developing and still evolving. And so, just start something now, see where it goes. And that's actually something that we talked about in episodes five and six with Greg Nance. He said, especially if you're young, there's no reason not to start something. Just go ahead. Mm-hmm. And he actually used the exact same phrase as Jackie did, which is take the leap. At a certain point in your life, you're still establishing things. There's no reason not to go ahead and take some risks. You may have some failures along the way, but you may also have some huge wins. So Jackie talked about the power and importance of bringing people together in a common mission. I wanted to start off today by asking what is so powerful about bringing people together with a common mission? You know, I think I think one big thing is that most people don't really have a sense of mission in their lives, at least people I've interacted with. So when you can when you can provide that and provide it in a way that it's not just, hey, here's my mission, buy into it, but here's something bigger to be a part of that together we can do, I think that's just attractive to people because so many of us live this baseline life without a sense of bigger purpose, mission, calling. And so when other people can see that in someone else and then be invited to participate, man, that's attractive to people, I think. I think it gives you a certain level of motivation to keep pushing you forward because if you don't have that commonality or that mission it's like it kind of falls by the wayside you may start off strong but you're not really into it so it kind of falls by the wayside yeah people want to be challenged i don't think they realize that but everybody wants to be challenged every day so when you give them a communal or group purpose that's a challenge it's a challenge to put your ideas and experiences into 
a pool of shared meaning. The book Crucial Conversations goes over that. Um, a pool of shared meaning so that everyone that is a part of that pool can draw out of it. And it really is a difficult and impressive and overwhelming sometimes challenge to do something like that. And who writes that book for anyone who might be interested, uh, thinks that that might be something they want to read? It's multiple authors. And I know one of them is Dr. Jordan Peterson, but I'm not sure on the other authors on that. So what are some ways to bring people together? If it's important to bring people together in a common mission, how can we do that? Because it's easy to say, but sometimes it can be difficult to do, especially when we're not quite sure what mission to bring people together around. What I really appreciated about what Jackie shared is that so much of what she's doing just comes out of things she's passionate about and then things she's staying passionate about. So I, if we're going to invite other people into what we're doing, I, th- I think we have to at some level actually care about what we're doing and, and have a sense of I'm passionate about this. This is something that's meaningful to me. And people will follow passion so much of the time. So if, if you start with passion and, and let that evolve and lead you to the next thing, I think that's going to be a powerful way to invite other people along for the ride. Do you think that we are self-conscious because we are afraid what people will think when we're passionate about something? I think so. I think sometimes when I say something, I hesitate, even if it's in front of my closest friends, I'll put it out there, whether it's religious or social or any type of topic and just wait and see how they respond. So yeah, I think there's a very high degree of vulnerability when you put that out there. So I think we almost have a a cultural issue right now with passion Hmm. and people being able to be open and vulnerable about the things they care about. Yeah. There's certain spheres where I think it's okay and certain times it's acceptable. But even if you look at our language, and I'm fascinated by words, we have so much language built into our slang and how we talk today that separates us from actually having opinions. So someone will say, I low-key think this. I ran into a slang word the other day, slick, which I don't know, it's like a Memphis slang word apparently <laughs> or Southern slang word. And it, it means it can mean everything from a little bit to a lot. But in other words, it separates you from actually just saying what you mean. So I slick think this means like, you know, there's some, to some degree, I think this and not just saying what you believe and having passion about it. And so I think we just want to separate ourselves because you put your passion out there, man, and people can tear it apart. And if people tear it apart, that's, that's depressing. One thing she talked about is when you make a decision, own it. So whenever you're passionate about it, don't do it on the slick, actually fully own it. Um, and overcome that fear of the unknown. Who cares what other people think? This is what you're passionate about, and that confidence, I think, will draw people to you, and that will make them want to follow you. And you find people who are interested in Mm -hmm. following that type of person because the truth is you're not going to be the one leader for the whole world, you know? (laughs) We've had people try to do that before, and it's turned out very badly. (laughs) (laughs) So you want want to find those people who – are passionate about certain things and and if you are if you're leading from your passion then the people who are passionate about those things as well will follow mm-hmm. you she specifically and i think this ties in to what we're talking about she specifically says you have a choice talking about with what or who you surround yourself with everything i think this is a direct quote everything that you are surrounded by um, is your choice so the people that you are surrounded by is your choice the ideas you're surrounded by is your choice and the words whether you slick some memphis slang or any type of slang um, are things that you choose and your passions i think to some degree are also things that you choose i thought that was interesting that she brought up the word choice and used that one specifically so I want to bring this up because if you are a contrarian listening to this podcast, like I would be if I were listening to the podcast right now, 
I, I would be thinking, yeah, but what about those times when you're not passionate about whatever your leadership is? Does that mean you just totally change or how do you handle that? If, if you're not, if you're not feeling passionate about whatever you're doing, does that mean you just leave it behind? Yeah, that, that's a question that in my life, not about any one thing, but I face a lot because it's so easy for me just to get in, caught up in life and so many things to do. And it's like, where's, where's the passion in that? And yet I know these are the things I want to do. And one thing she talked about, Jackie talked about was staying passionate. She just, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if she just mentioned it in passing, but she just said, stay passionate about what you're doing. And I think some of it's building into your life consistency of, of letting your passion not be built on an emotion, but be built on a commitment. And if you're, especially if it's a commitment in community, then it's a lot easier to keep that passion because you get some, some within that community self-talk going of, Hey, let's do this. Hey, we care about this. Mm-hmm. And so even if you don't, that community builds up, builds back the passion in you. Bevelyn, you've been quiet for a little while. Yeah. Do you have anything you want I, to say here? I think that ties into having strong goals. If you have a mission, whether you're passionate or not, this is your mission and that's what you're going to go for. And when that passion wanes, you still have that same focus. So how are you working towards some of your goals right now, Bevelyn? Um, so right now I have a pretty ambitious goal. I want to buy a home, hopefully in the next year, year and a half. And so to get where I want to be with that, I need to save a sizable down payment and to get into real estate investing. So I picked up a second job. So I'm working like 12 hours, wow. at least five days a week, sometimes on Saturdays. So yeah, that gets old real quick. (laughs) So you're not always passionate about it? No, (laughs) not in the least bit, but that keeps me going. Mm. Whenever I have those moments where I'm like, oh, I really don't want to get out of bed right now. I keep thinking what I'm working towards and what I want my future to look like 10 years down the road. And I need to put in the work now to achieve that goal of how I want my family to be structured. And that goes back to really the the cause or the purpose instead of just the feeling. I do think Mm -hmm. that passion a lot of times that we we feel passion but also i think the way we use the word passion really talks to something more than than just a feeling that keeps us going even when we we aren't super excited about working 12 hour days or whatever else to help us get to those goals yeah i guess if you take that outcome-based perspective of passion right it's it's i'm I'm ultimately not passionate about where the world is right now i'm passionate or where my life is right now i'm passionate about the possibility of what could be Mm -hmm. and so if you have that the possibility focus outcome focused view of life, man, that's, that's where the passion comes from. And I I didn't think about it until you were saying that Bevelyn, but that's, that's exactly what drives me. Like waking up day to day, there's a lot of times I don't want to go do the things I have to do, Mm -hmm. but I know there's an outcome I'm pushing towards. There's there's a goal I have. So it makes it a lot easier. So thanks for clarifying that for me. So Jackie talked about how community develops on the trips that she coordinates for folks. Um, And it's interesting that she didn't mention doing anything specifically to orchestrate the bonds that the travelers make on her trips. So when this happens, when these bonds develop, do y'all think it's solely the power of the shared experience or is there something more to that? And then secondly, does the ability of the group to stay connected after this experience, is that a reflection of the experience itself and how significant it was? Could you give me the phrasing of that first part of your question again, as far as the, the, the shared experience? So when community develops is it solely the power of the shared experience that bonds people together? So I, th- I think to answer the first part of your question, the bond does come from the shared experience, but that's because really you could say the whole thing is the shared experience, right? So mm-hmm. like, I think a lot of it is the fact that people are taken out of their comfort zone and they're kind of, <laughs> they find themselves all at the same level. Mm-hmm. So they're all in some ways needy. I mean, I like how Jackie said, look, when you, when you go to another country, you're still you. 
You know, it's not like you go to another country and you just can't do anything. You may not know the language, but you can still figure out how to get around and, you know, money still buys food and a place to sleep and whatnot. But I think there's a lot to be said for everyone kind of being at the same level and knowing that they don't know it all. Even if you are an expert wherever you come from, when you come to a new place, everything's totally new. And so I think that brings people together immediately. And that is the shared experience. But I, I think you could just say the whole, the whole trip in some ways is a shared experience. I think that makes sense because when you think about, say, corporations who take their employees on team building retreats and they're doing like ropes courses and all this other stuff to build that cohesion to help them work better as a team mm-hmm. whenever they go back to the office. The power of the shared experience is a significant factor in what is going on. But I think a very prominent, if not just as significant factor is if the team group community realizes what is going on. Okay. Because even though we sitting at this table may understand that we're talking about leadership and other significant things, if we didn't step back and take a moment to realize how this is going to affect each of our lives, we probably would just roll on past it which is why I imagine that Jackie has some very specific conversations or some very specific questions to really almost do an abstraction with her group. And I mean by abstraction is that they all step out of the experience, whether post-experience or even mid-experience, to realize this is what we're going through right now. Do you realize how significant this is? So yes, part of it is the power, the sheer power of what they're experiencing, but also the power of processing, debriefing, taking an abstraction moment and realizing what's going on. So I want to kick this over to you for a second because you just led uh, your church through a pretty significant building renovation project. And so were there any times along the way kind of to what Creed was saying that you helped people realize what you were doing in the process? Or did you find in a pretty practical, like real world way that it's just easy to get focused on what needs to be done. How did you balance those two as a leader at your church? Yeah, I think it was some of both. So all of us at the church, especially in leadership, we all work full-time jobs. So it's not like we were taking our lives and focusing on this building project. So we're all, we're all coming in after hours on the weekends trying to do this work, which gets exhausting. It was a five-month project, yep. and for probably three of those months solid, Almost all our weekends, quite a few of our free nights were spent doing that. And so in the middle of all that, I think what Creed said is exactly right. We, I did have to try to step back some, and we didn't have like sharing sessions about it, but just step back and say like, hey, there's more to life than painting. There's more to this project than painting and sheetrock and everything else. We're going somewhere with this. We're, mm-hmm. we're pushing toward like, well, how does this connect with the mission of what we're doing? And sometimes that was just self-talk for me. I just say mm-hmm. it out loud, trying to convince myself that it's worth it to keep, <laughs> yeah, to keep yeah. doing what we're doing, keep doing the plumbing or doing it, whatever else. So I, I think that's exactly right with mm-hmm. Creed's analysis. So I want to go back to the second part of Bevelin's question so we don't get too far off topic. You essentially were asking, if I have this correct, how does the interaction of the group after the experience speak to how important the experience actually was, right? Right. Yeah, so I think that's a good question to think about as a leader because, you know, you you have this group that you've led, and how much stock should you put in the group's interaction afterward? If they don't communicate with each other ever again, did you somehow fail or you know, should, should you expect people to continue to communicate and be super close after 
whatever your experience was. I'm about to reference a movie that I've never seen, which is probably a dangerous thing to do. <laughs> but have any of you all seen The Breakfast Club? Yes. Right. And uh, at the end of it, don't they all just kind of go back to normal life? Yeah. It's like they have this shared experience together, and it's like in some ways life-changing, and then it's at, after it you don't really interact at all. you got to go back to just where you were. But change. I think there, there's some, some change that takes place. And for me, that's that's kind of life for me. Like I will I will have an experience, but I'm terrible about actually keeping up with people ever. If if I'm not seeing him regularly, and so I think like if if I were part of one of these trips, it would probably be an incredible experience, and I would probably never talk to those people again. I'd like their pictures on Instagram, you know, like that that would be about it. And so I, I don't know if that's always a good indicator of how an experience affected someone, but it probably is a good indicator of the type of enduring community that was created. Like are people keeping up? And that would be a signifier. If if they're actually keeping up, it's it's a solid community. And maybe you shouldn't expect your community to endure. Maybe that's not the purpose of it. Part of it is understanding, you know, did you did you gather these people together in order to form a community that will continue on? Or did you mm-hmm. gather the people together because you knew there were people who wanted to go have a travel experience together? That, that does make a difference. I think, you know, it d- depends on whether the mission is complete or not. Okay. Traveling to Patagonia that's a finite mission. It's complete when you get on the plane and you get back home versus if it's something else, if you're empowering a group of people in Patagonia and you set up, say a church there, you're going to want to keep in contact with those people. So that mission isn't complete. So I think the connection that the group makes would probably be more likely to continue in that situation. Sure. Group contact post experience, I think is probably more of a neutral byproduct. Doesn't necessarily indicate a, success of an experience or a failure of an experience after my nine months with the impact 360 fellows program we stayed in contact pretty close it's been about three years and that was nine months of very intensive worldview and leadership experience we spent a month in brazil so we traveled the world traveled the states together but our contact post that experience has been very very limited but i would say the success of that experience was 100% 100% successful, use the word mission, 100% successful to the mission that we were given when we began that experience. And I, I do like that explanation. Is the mission accomplished? And if it's accomplished, then there may be other things that the people who are involved in it want to do with their lives, and that's fine. But make sure that whatever you started is completed. I'm really curious here, Bevelyn. You mentioned at the beginning you've led Financial Peace University, which mm-hmm. is a way to help people improve their financial lives and, and budget and all that. So as, you, as you've led those, that's something that could continue on into the future in terms of people implementing it. Mm-hmm. Have you found at least some sense of connection remains as people go on this mission to better themselves financially? A little bit, yeah. It's kind of waned because um, this is my second group now, so I'll based that off my first group, which was last year, last fall. It started off really strong, the connections, our group text messages, and it's waned a little bit. I don't think there's any, you know, ill will towards each other. Certainly not. (laughs) (laughs) But I think just life gets busier and we're not meeting every week. So it kind of, we're distanced from it. So one thing that Jackie talked about didn't necessarily relate to leadership, but I think I... I want to I want to derive this question from something that she talked about and see where we can go with it. Uh, she talked about how she didn't just want to take people where they wanted to go on her trips. She was talking about Patagonia in particular. There are certain places that people want to go, but she said there are a whole lot of other places along the way that will be super memorable and meaningful to the people who are traveling with her. Places they didn't even know existed. And so I'm wondering, as a leader, how do you lead people to places 
that they don't necessarily want to go or know that they want to go, especially when they have other things out there that they're focused on. Because you may know as a leader that where you're going to be taking them will be very meaningful to them, even if they don't realize it at the time. Any thoughts there? Deception. Deception. No, really. <laughs> I think so. I think part of it sometimes is you can just say, "Hey, this is going to be meaningful. I've been here before. Like, trust me, this is an experience you're going to want to have." Yeah. Or that if it's not a trip, this is this is something that'll be really important for us. But I, I do think there's an aspect of, you know, if if it's not just about the destination, it's about the journey. Then, as you as you're going through it, as you're going through the journey of this team or this experience or whatever else, incorporating those things in and, and maybe not building it up and saying this is going to change your life, just. As, as you're on your way to where everybody wants to go, let's let's go off and do this side thing. And turns out that's going to be really meaningful. If it really is a meaningful experience or meaningful something meaningful for the group to do, people are going to realize that whether or not you say this is going to change your life. So you don't necessarily need to hype it up. Yeah, I don't think so. Sometimes it depends on what it is. But I think there's sometimes more power in the unexpected striking people in a powerful way yeah. than the expected doing exactly what people thought it would. I think a lot of the the character of the leader comes into play there. If you are someone who's trustworthy, then the people following you are going to follow you, even though they don't necessarily see the end that you see. They're trusting you to get them there where they need to be. The leader has a responsibility to initiate the group or the community in a direction, typically towards those high points. But the smaller ones, those ones along the way that Jackie mentioned and you, Josh, mentioned, those are going to be picked up only probably only by a few people in the group. So if the leader spends a lot of time emphasizing those points, regardless, there's probably only going to be a few people picking them up and they're going to pick them up whether or not the leader emphasizes them or not. I think a healthy thing would actually be to step back and leave your hands off of that situation and say, if they pick it up, great. I know they will come to me at some point and continue to discuss it. Otherwise, those moments are little hidden gems that are only going to be found by a few. Absolutely, yeah. Because if they were meaningful to everyone, then maybe they would be one of those right. mega experiences that mm-hmm. everyone talks about. But along the way, you find something that somehow is personally meaningful to you or you know, there's only meaningful to a few people. And yet, to those people, it could be potentially life-changing. Yep. Mm-hmm. Jackie also mentioned at the end of the interview the question, am I worth following? I thought that was one of the best questions that anyone has brought up in the interview so far. And I wanted to know, how can you figure this out? How can you figure out if you are a leader worth following? So I just had a birthday. I turned 26, and which, which to me feels significant. The weird birthdays feel significant. 17 felt significant because it's like you're almost an adult, but you're still you know in high school. And 26 felt significant because I'm leaving my mid-20s, and I'm leaning pretty heavily 30, right? Like four years from now, I'll be 30 years old. And that feels like a next level of life or responsibility or whatever else. So I've been thinking, what when I'm 30, so I've got four years, a little bit less now, what do I want to be like when I'm 30? And, and what I've come up with is I want to be a leader that I would be willing to drop what I'm doing in order to follow. And so th- that's brought up this question a lot of man, what what does that look like? Am I someone worth following? And I think I think a, what I just articulated there for me is a good test. Am I, w- would I follow myself? Like would I, would I set aside what I'm leading or what I'm doing to follow myself? And, and for me, that's really clarifying because right now I'd say no. 
I mean, I, I hope I'm doing a good job leading, but right now I wouldn't drop what I'm leading to go follow myself. And so for me, that's that's the criterion I'm using for my life for the next four years. That's some trippy thinking, right? Yeah, there. <laughs> you, you, you get this weird alternate realities, and yeah, but but that's that's what I'm using. So I don't know if that's the best way because that's not you know that's something I got to work towards for the next four years. But for me, that's kind of guiding my thinking of am I worth following? Well, for me right now to drop what I'm doing, no. Hopefully in four years. Mm. That, that's interesting. Creator Bevelin, any thoughts here? I'm trying to take a, a broad perspective on this question because the question is specifically, am I worth following? Yeah. Following and leadership go hand in hand and leadership is the idea, or I've at least understood it to be the idea of influence. You're directing someone in a certain direction. Um, and so I, I think I would just follow up on what Elijah would saying and take a step back and realize where am I pointing people? Where is my life aiming at? Is it something that is valuable and not necessarily just to myself? Because I think there are certain values that are inherent to us as humans are the goals and values that I'm aiming towards directing my life around surrounding myself with are those things that are valuable and will last beyond the age of 30 to the time of my death. Yeah, so I also thought about that in terms of would I follow me? I don't know if I want to be so candid as to answer that question right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But even taking it a bit further, it's who am I following now? And as a Christian, I should be following Christ. And I think if I'm following him as I should, then that would impart in me leaders, uh, leader qualities that would, you know, hopefully make other people want to follow me as I follow him. Sure. And one of the things that we kind of go back to on this podcast pretty frequently is that in some way, everyone is a leader. The question is, do you realize it? And if you realize it, then you begin to live a little bit differently. But everyone has qualities and hopefully they're good qualities and hopefully they're qualities that when people do follow you, because some people will be following you, some people are following you. When they do follow you, will they become better people because of it? I think one great way to see if you are worth following is to ask the people around you. Hopefully you'll have some mentors. That would be extremely helpful. People that can speak into your life. At the same time, hopefully you'll be able to look and say, who is following me? And if you're worth following, hopefully you'll have some worthy followers who are coming after you in your footsteps. This is a follow-up question for Jackie. She can clearly understand who her followers are. And I think she can also clearly understand who her peers are and that they lead other groups for us as leaders in other areas. Do you think it is significant to identify who our followers are? And do you think it is even more significant that those followers realize that we are their leaders or should that be something that we are more hands off and it's just understood or implicit in our relationship, not necessarily explicit in that we've discussed it. I think that's a good question. So much of it comes back to, I would imagine what what Bevelin was talking about earlier, which is mission. You know, if there's a mission Mm -hmm. to be accomplished, you better know who your followers are and they better understand that they're following you or the mission's not going to get accomplished. But there's so much of leadership too is just influence. I mean, throughout our lives, right? We're influencing, we're leading, we're we're shaping the world around us. And, And I would hate for me to start trying to count and say, is that person a follower? Am I, how much am I influencing them? Am I influencing them enough for them to be considered a follower? And mm-hmm. I'd really hate for people to start thinking about me in every situation. Is he leading me right now or is he not leading me? I'd mm-hmm. rather it to be back and forth. There's a there's a communication theory, and the whole idea behind it is, is uh, persons in conversation co-construct a social reality. 
right? So as, as we are interacting with each other, we are creating parts of ourselves and parts of the, the world we're in in new ways and in different ways and reconstructing it. And so I, I want to always be grabbing hold of that, not having to define it. So for me, it's like very, in some parts of my life, very clear, hey, I'm leading these people. I'm responsible for leading them. They know, understand I'm leading them. And most of my life, it's like, man, I hope I'm leading some people. I hope I'm having an influence. And so I need to live my life to have that influence. Yeah, I think it's being relational with people, you know, just a part of building good relationships with folks. You know where they are. They know where you are. They are definitely probably leading you in some areas, even though it's not very overt. Uh, and then you're leading them. And I think it ties into what she said about uh, being a mentor. You're taking someone along with you. Uh, and that may not always be a defined relationship. But if you're going a certain path and I see that, hey, I might want to do that. So let me emulate Elijah in this um, or vice versa. Yeah, I think I think to summarize this particular question if you know where you're going, it's important to know who's following you. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know where you're going, if if you're not explicitly leading, then I think it's good to just make sure that you have the character that is worth following. Mm-hmm. And that's a good insight right there. Yeah. So let's go ahead and go to key takeaways for today. Bevelyn, what are some what are some things that you'd really like to emphasize from this interview with Jackie? Her concept of jump, I think she Jackie said she renamed her, was it podcast? Yeah. It's jump now. That really hit home for me, you know, just annihilating the the fear of the unknown and just going for it, just taking that leap. And then I think she uh, Jackie also mentioned discovering what it means to take a leap. Like what does that truly mean in each individual's life? Because I think it means something different for different people. That's good. Creed? A prominent idea that she discussed is movement, and that movement is a way of life and is a part of life. So learn how to move well, not just to simply move about. Another idea that she discussed was that few people ask what they want to be known by. So take time to realize what you want others to know you by. Elijah, how about you? Yeah, I'm going to be walking away from Jackie's interview, I think with three big ideas rocking around in my head. The first is stay passionate about what you're doing. Don't just find your passion. Maybe it'll start there, but stay passionate about what you're doing. The second thing is you have a choice, and what you create comes from your decisions. Take responsibility. Don't ever give up the agency of your life. Let other people determine it for you. The third thing is build a community around what matters most to you. And my three takeaways are, first of all, if you're looking for a community, gather one around you. So often we can just be waiting and saying, where's the community? Where's If you're looking for that, make it happen. The second one is don't just take people where they want to go. Sometimes you need to take them where they need to go. And the third one is ask the question, am I worth following? So Bevelyn, Creed, Elijah, thank you so much for joining the podcast this week. I slick enjoyed it. Great. <laughs> Thanks for joining the show this week. I hope you learned something new and feel more prepared to take leadership in your own life to the next level. If you found this content valuable and would like to help out the podcast, here are three things you can do. One, subscribe to the podcast so you'll get new episodes each week as they come out. Two, share this week's interview with someone you think could benefit from it. Or three, give us a five-star rating and a review on iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts. All three of these actions will make it easier for others to find us and join the community. You can never have too many good leaders, right? Until next time, keep living and leading well.
Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.